So, uh, hello to everyone. It's December 12th, 2021. As always, we're asking, where did this year go? As we know, Krishna's time factor moves quickly. So, uh, we have interesting verses. We're going to try to, <coughs> I'm going to try to finish uh, chapter 14 of the first canto. So we begin with 11441. <clears throat> Yudhisthira says, Kachit, which means he's asking a question. Kachit twang brahmanam, balam, gam, vridham, roginam, striyam, sharanopa sritang, sattam, na tyakshi, sharanat prada. So, <clears throat> All of these questions are somewhat rhetorical in the sense that they're in the negative. He's saying like, you didn't do this, did you? You didn't do that. He's like going through his checklist that you look so bad, you look so depressed that something bad happened. And I really hope you didn't do something terrible. And so he's going through the whole list and going through this list and, and they're all in the negative, like you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Um, He's really, the Bhagavatam is really giving us this culture. It's really giving us the principles of these culture, of Vaishnav culture, or in general, this culture based on Dharma, Dharma culture, Sanatana Dharma. And so, uh, so this whole section of the Bhagavatam is telling us what a king or any political leader should do by Yudhisthira making sure like you didn't do this, you didn't do that, because if you did, that would explain why you're miserable because a real leader should never do that. So it's giving us a list of indirectly of what a leader should do. So here we have, if you're looking at the Sanskrit, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We have eight words after kachit twang, like did you, kachit twang just means did you. So after that, we have eight words that end with the letter M, like in mother. And the reason all those words end in the letter M is because they're all objects of the verb atyakshi. So atyakshi means uh, rejected, like the word tyaga means to renounce or reject. Sarvadharman uh, paritya. The tyaj is the same verb with the with paritya. Paritya or tyakta or tyaga, boga tyaga. Those are all the same word or words from the same root. So here, uh, again, it's na atyakshi. You didn't reject. So that's the rhetorical question. You didn't reject, and. Um, and then all those eight words letter that end in M, like you didn't reject this, you didn't reject that, that. So here's a list of eight things that Yudhisthira is saying. You didn't reject this or that or the other person. Eight different categories, which obviously show us that a leader like Arjun should, in the last word here, compound word, Sharanat Pradap, which means you are a giver of shelter. 
Sharana is shelter. Da means to give. Prada means like to really give, like you give it directly. So our, so Yudhisthira is saying, you, did you, a giver of shelter, instead of giving, did you, did you not reject these eight categories? Which of course would be very bad because you're a giver of shelter, not a rejecter of shelter. And so therefore he's saying, uh, you didn't reject all these categories, did you? So here are the categories, the Brahmanam. Did you not reject? I hope you didn't, in the idea, I hope you didn't reject a Brahmana or Balam, a child. In other words, these are all the categories that a leader has to give Sharana to, shelter, shelter from hunger, shelter from danger, uh, all kinds, you know, various categories of shelter. So a Brahmana, like you didn't reject a Brahman, did you? Or uh, a child, Gam, a cow that was in distress, Vriddham, an elderly person, Roginam, someone who is suffering from illness, Striyam, a woman, that means that in general, women must be given protection. If they seek protection, a gentleman must give it. So Sharanopa Sritang, or uh, someone that approached for shelter. This is Sharana Upa Sritam. Upa means close, and Sritta means went. So someone who went close, in other words, who approached you. Someone who approached you for shelter, Satvam, the idea that like any living being. Uh, so if you take Satvam as uh, modifying Sharanopa Sritam, then it's seven categories. I won't go into all the grammar there, but. So you are Sharana Prada. So did you not, or like, like you didn't reject someone that came to you for shelter, since you are a giver of shelter, any living being that came to you for shelter. So, so this is, Yudhisthira is revealing here what the culture is for leaders. This is, they must give shelter, they must protect, uh, they must give comfort to really any living being that comes for shelter, especially these groups, Brahman, uh, Brahmanas, children, cows, elderly person, uh, those who are suffering from illness, women. So again, there's a lot of culture revealed here in this question. And then, <clears throat> um, Kachit, again, asking the question, Kachit Twang, did you not, uh, or did you, na agamo gamyam, did you not, in the sense I hope you didn't do this, did you go to, did you approach or come to a woman? We know it's a woman because it's gamyam, the long A at the end of the word means it's female. If it was a short A, it would be male or anyone. So gum means to go. That's where we get the English go, gone, ga in Sanskrit. So gamya means to be gone to. In other words, a pro, someone you should go to. That's the idea here. Someone to whom you should go. 
That's the word gamya. And agamyam means someone, in this case, a lady, a lady that you should not go to because it's just, it's, and here agama go to means <clears throat> perhaps to give her a child because in the previous verse we had just giving shelter like a lady that needs protection. And of course, this is very different from modern culture. And, uh, but again, if you want to understand this, you have to have the ability to put yourself back in a very different world where uh, it is, if I can use that term, a scientific fact, that some women, in fact, more than a few, if at a certain stage of their life, they have no one, you know, the world has more or less abandoned them, or no one is giving them any type of comfort or company. Some women really want to have a child. And, and I personally noticed this, and I have to sort of put aside political correctness for a moment if I dare. And that is, I have personally seen in my, I was going to say long life, but it's Kali Yuga, so it seems like a long life, but it's not that much time that there, there are some women, not all women, I'm not saying most women, I'm not saying what percentage of women, but there are some women who, if they do not have a child, really suffer a lot, even I've noticed psychologically and even in terms of their physical health. I'm not saying all women, I'm not saying most women, but, they're, but it, it's not one or two. And so uh, it was understood or it was accepted in this ancient culture that there are women who are gamyam. That'll be the next word, uh, uh, word uh, gamyam. Uh, so gamya, the word gamya means a woman who is approachable. Another word based on her behavior, based on her general culture and her moral standards that a, a leader of society should give her the comfort of having a child or, uh, and so on. So, uh, and then, and some women were just not in that category. It could be a woman who was very promiscuous, who already had children. It could be, I mean, I'm just speculating here, but Prabhupada said, this is the kind of speculation we can do and kind of reasoning, but this is not, we don't get more details, but suffice it to say that if someone was a leader and self-controlled and rich and had the means to make sure a woman was taken care of, looked after, and so on, so that if she had a child, she would have everything she needed, that was considered to be a duty. And uh, I won't go through the arguments here about this, but... Uh, I understand what they were doing. So um, if you take morality to be providing the greatest good for the greatest number of people and what is actually good for people. I mean, it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not giving uh, an argument in favor of polygamy. I'm not doing that now. I just think it's ironic that in the culture I live in right now, that if a man exploits a lot of women, even impregnates a lot of women, uh, and then 
you know, let, let, let's say he has money and he, and he sends them something every month. And of course, a lot of men don't pay what they're supposed to do to women. And the law is notoriously inefficient in finding this, these men and making them pay. So there are many, many, many women who do not receive the <clears throat> financial support that legally they're supposed to receive. But in any case, if a man just exploits a lot of women, has sex with a lot of women, impregnates some of them, that is perfectly okay. That's perfectly legal. What makes him a criminal is if he commits legally to taking care of them, not just with money, but just taking care of them in other ways. If he just commits himself that he'll do everything to give them emotional help, financial shelter. In other words, if he marries a bunch of these, say a few women, he's a criminal. If he doesn't marry these women, but and just sort of leaves them, gives them no emotional support, but exploits them sexually, that's perfectly legal. Uh, so again, I'm not arguing for polygamy. I'm just saying that it would, uh, I think people who have studied history are a little cautious about assuming that the standards of their society are the perfect ones, are the best ones. That if you live in a society which strongly condemns something, uh, sometimes it takes a little intellectual freedom to be able to step back and look objectively at the world you were born into rather than just assuming going along with the herd so to speak and assuming that everything that your society believes must be true and we see that of course there's a lot of that among Vaishnavas if you look at the internet there's a lot of among devotees let's say uh, who are not necessarily, and I don't mean to uh, insult anyone here, but not necessarily strong at this point in their life in a dedicated spiritual practice, they, there's a tendency to just assume that whatever is politically correct today, and perhaps not tomorrow or yesterday, is absolutely morality. And to condemn anyone who is not politically correct without really thinking things through. They haven't really, when you talk to these people, uh, it, they, you can tell they haven't given a lot of thought to it. What they are really good at is name calling, like you're this or you're that, we you know the typical names that people are called. Uh, there's not a lot of philosophy, there's not a lot of research into history, psychology, sociology, and it just, uh, if this is now politically correct, that anyone that is not politically correct is condemned much in the same way that people who have no Krishna conscious knowledge condemn and call names to anyone who's not politically correct. So we live in an atmosphere where if you say one wrong word, of course, no matter how well you research your position, now, no matter how much scientific evidence you have, because there are certain people in society who very much deny all science if it doesn't fit their doctrines. That goes on among both extremes of the society. So I'm just mentioning that because we're hearing about a culture which is different from the one we live in. And it takes a bit of uh, mental and intellectual strength 
to take a step. So, Kachetwam Nagam Ogam Yam, Gam Yam Vasatkritam, or, and again, we have the word Striam. We know it's about women because of the long A in Gam Yam. But any, and, and Agam Yam. But anyway, so, Va, or, did you do this or that? So, the word here in the second line is Asatkritam. Sat means good, spiritual, and so on, as in Satsanga. And so on. So that's, I won't go into all the etymology of the word sat. But anyway, satkrita. So to make something satkrita means made or done. So to make sat, satkrita, or made sat, means to honor someone. And asatkritam, that someone has been made asat. In other words, they've been offended. Uh, so did you not... Uh, uh, or uh, did you not make, or was a woman not made a set, in other words, offended or dishonored? I think dishonored probably be the really the closest to what the Sanskrit really means. So, did you was was a woman uh, not was a was a goable woman, a woman an approachable woman that you should have helped? Was she not dishonored by you, or did you approach a woman? who was not approachable for various reasons. So in other words, improper behavior toward a woman can ruin a man's life. That's a very interesting point here. Because again, Eunice is going through the checklist. He's going through this list of, uh, and he's only mentioning things that, well, Arjun, if you did this, that would explain why you're miserable. That would explain why you've lost your happiness in life, why you're depressed more than I've ever seen you. So it's important to see here that not treating women properly can ruin a man's life. Dishonoring an honorable woman or intimate association with a woman that the man should not approach. It's not appropriate. And of course, a gamya can be maybe because she's married to someone else. I mean, clearly, <laughs> approaching a woman sexually that you shouldn't approach, there'll be many reasons why you shouldn't approach some women. Or if you don't give shelter, of course, <clears throat> in our age, it, there's no question of a man just, you know, okay, uh, like Arjuna, you can't do imitate what Arjuna might have done with a, an approachable woman. <clears throat> but even if a woman... In, our, in the culture in which we live, in the legal system in which we live, a woman is not sexually approachable, but she's approachable in other ways, in the sense of giving encouragement. If possible, a deserving woman giving financial assistance, uh, you know, helping in various ways, trying to, whatever, uh, give good advice. So, so the, I think the general point is that there are women who are gamya, who are approachable, and if you don't help them when they need help and they deserve help, then that can seriously negatively impact your life for a man. Then we have the word parajito vata vavanva means or, like is it was it this or that or, or something else. So or... Um, were you 
defeated. Parajita means defeated. Prabhupada, yeah, Prabhupada translates it defeated. Because Arjuna is a warrior. Were you defeated? Uh, or were, here's again the negative. Were you not defeated? Like it's a rhetorical, were you like you weren't defeated by uh, were you not defeated by someone who was actually uh, by someone who was greater than you? Or um, actually, I'm going to do this a little differently because now that I'm looking at it, I'm, I mean, I don't want to involve you in all my grammatical calculations. But I think, let me check see how Prabhupada translates this. Um, yeah, Prabhupada actually, he doesn't, I mean, you wouldn't know that unless you know Sanskrit, but so Prabhupada is, and, and, and also following that, we're taking the two words, na, it's like na utamaya in the last line, na utamaya, na asamaya. So utama or utamaya means by someone better and asama means by someone uh, who's not equal, in other words, an inferior. So forget all the grammar. Like, Pati, on the path, on the path, were you defeated by someone who's not greater than you or someone who's not equal to you? So someone that's not greater than you could be an, an equal or someone that's not equal. In other words, someone you should have defeated, someone that wasn't better than you, they weren't even equal to you, but on your way home, uh, they defeated you, which would be devastating for Arjuna. So enough of that. So that's so he's asking all these questions, and uh, and then the last two more verses in this chapter. We'll finish this chapter. So the last questions a piece wit or was it that a piece wit? Uh, so the last categories of, of possible misbehavior on Arjun's part. Paryabhuntas twang, sambhojan vridhavalakan. This is very interesting. So the word uh, sambhojan, uh, Prabhupada translates very, uh, I think very uh, brilliantly, deserving to dine together. And I'll explain that boja is the same as boga, like food. Of course, we use it in our jargon to mean unoffered food. And so the general meaning is eating. So sung poja, like sung kirtan, like doing kirtan together, sung kirtan. So this is sung poja, eating together. And so the why, sung bojan, sung boja means people who deserve to eat together with you. So did you, and then bhuntas in, in, in Sanskrit, in the first line means you ate. And pari, it's actually, it's divided improperly by the PBT. Anyway, it should be pari abhuntas. It's abhuntas. So did you eat? And then pari means around, like English peri, perimeter, perimeter, perimeter. So pari abhuntas means did you avoid people? Did you literally eat around them? Rather than eating with them, you went around them and ate. So Prabhupada translates this, leaving aside and dining by yourself. But that's literally where the word comes from. It's pari around, meaning kind of avoiding, going around someone, avuntas, and then you ate. You ate, in other words, you didn't eat with them. But those people that you went around when you ate, they're actually some pojan. 
they're people who deserve to eat together sampoja with you and so who would these people be who are sampoja who deserve to eat with you together with you sampoja they're riddha elderly people balakan children so again special consideration was given to the elderly and to children because people in between if you're not a child and you're not old you should probably be able to take care of yourself old people sometimes may have trouble finding the food they need children people who are self-reliant people in the middle who are not old and not real young you know most most of the time they take care of themselves so did you eat around old people and children oh jugupsiktam karma kinship kritavan uh or did you perform any abominable action jugupsiktam means like terrible or bad awful did you do any bad action which is which is akshama aksham it can mean among other things to pardon like a typical like like arjuna in the bhagavad gita uh says that uh kshamiya twang that i you know i beg you to forgive me so ksham to forgive so akshama means unforgivable or unpardonable as prapa translates it akshama so did you do any terrible activity which is um, in, unpardonable So that completes the list. I mean, Yudhisthira is not going to go over hundreds of different things. So he gives all these examples which are culturally significant and then finally says, "Or did you do anything at all?" Kinship means something like at all. You know, did you do any really uh bad activity at all which is unpardonable? So that completes and then having said all that, the last verse and then is very poignant very moving because in the last verse we find out that Yudhisthira knew all along what the problem was he was asking these questions almost hoping that Arjun hoping against hope that Arjun would say oh yes it was actually that that's what i did wrong but obviously Arjun has not answered Arjun has not spoken up and said yeah that's it you know like you're going through your long list here and it's that one that's what i did wrong no so because arjun did not say that and yudhisthira really knew it all the time all along and so finally he says is it that krishna's gone so he says kachit is it question is it that i am now bereft of prashta tama uh priya in sanskrit means dear prayas means very dear and prashta means most dear the st prashta like the st it's the same st we still have in english to say the highest degree of something like finest or prettiest or loneliest so that st in english which means the most of something of course is sanskrit So here we have prashta and uh prashta tamena actually it's a very emphatic word because prashta tamena <coughs> almost means like the most most dear because tama 
It's not tamas, darkness. It's a different word. It's tama. Means the most. Or, or actually, translated the, the, the most dear of all. It, it, it's like what we would say, the dearest of all, the most beloved of all. And so that's what the Tama is doing there. So, Katsit Preshta Tamena Atta, now is it that Hridayena, who is my very heart, Atma Banduna, uh, the friend of my soul, Shunyos me, I now be rep. Shunya, which we often translate as void, like Shunyavada, voidism. So it can mean not I am void, but I am bereft, like like I'm bereft. It's and and shunyavada means a philosophy that there's nothing, like everything is gone, like there's no real thing in the universe. So shunyosmi, asmi is I am, uh, and then rahita, uh, rahita in Sanskrit is is sort of a synonym of shunya, really, uh, which I will. One moment here. Don't switch off your computer. I'll have it in a second. So Rahita means left, forsaken, deserted, and therefore lonely, solitary. So therefore it means, am I bereft of the most beloved of all? Am I bereft of the person who is my heart? who is the friend of my soul? Am I now shunya, just empty? There's nothing, and, and let's look at that word shunya in the dictionary because it can mean void like shunya vod, voidism. A shunya means empty, void, barren, uh, desolate, deserted. So, so shunya and rahita are really synonyms. They have you know different shades of meaning, but it's very emphatic. I'm, I'm Devoid, like, I mean, think of the word void and devoid. Devoid, which is not the void with a Brooklyn accent. Devoid means in English, you know, I've lost something. So Arjuna is saying, I'm devoid of, shunyos me, I'm bereft of, I've been deserted by, left by, uh, the most beloved of all my heart, the friend of my soul. Manyase uh, do you think Manyasete uh, because he says that uh, is that what you're thinking? Is that why you are so miserable? Because you're because you're thinking of me with love. So it's very interesting. He's saying, uh, do you are are you lamenting because? you understand, you're considering how miserable I'm going to be. Because otherwise, anyata, anyata, which means otherwise, naruk, uh, you could not be in such distress. So very powerful verses, very profound philosophy, and uh, very beautiful Sanskrit composition. And that's the end of this chapter. So now... I'll stop and I'll take a look to see if there are uh, questions here.
about these uh, topics. Well, it's my Sunday. Take a look. Thank you all for your comments. Um, don't see any questions yet. It's nice to see your names. Um, Kintaga Palana. Protecting a Brahmana is on top of the list, protecting Brahmanas. However, cursing the emperor of the world, Parikshi, to die within seven days for disrespecting a Brahman seems massively disproportionate. Or is it simply mythological? Leela, no, it's not myth. It is massively disproportionate. And that's why Sringi, this immature, who's just a child, really, just a foolish child, that's why his father said, you did something terrible. So all the adults in the room, so to speak, everyone understood that this child has done something terrible. He had more power than he did intelligence. He was just, uh, it, it, it's almost like, um, to give sort of a terrible modern example that you, with something that just happened actually recently, there was another one of these school shootings because there are these fools in America that think that, you know, everyone should have military weapons at home if they want. And so, uh, so the, 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 the parents, did not lock up this automatic weapon. So they gave or they allowed the child, their child, who's a teenager, to have that power. And 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 the teenager did something evil. You know, he killed several innocent people. So I'm not saying that string the father, uh, I think it was Shamika Muni, he didn't give his son the power necessarily but he might have engaged him in sacrifices, taught him mantras. The child might have had power from his previous life. But it's a case where someone has a lot more power than they do intelligence. And all the sane people recognize this as an abominable action. So yeah, in the Bhagavatam, it's, it's giving us an example of how uh, a young Brahmin can do something terrible given the power to do so and and the child doesn't have the intelligence or maturity to, to know better so bhakta mike do you think the disconnect between the rampant serial deadbeat dads and the criminalization of polygamy is another symptom of the ignorance in kali yuga um before connecting those two, uh, I'm going to start with factors that I think are pretty solid, pretty reliable. And that is, for one thing, uh, people nowadays are much more free in the sense that you can just leave town. You can just 
take a plane and go to some other part of the world. You can go to some other part of the country. Uh, in the old days, they didn't have countries as big as like America because it just took too long to get there. So you couldn't hold it together. So I think freedom of transportation, a legal system, which in which it can just go on forever. It can be very bureaucratic and inefficient. The fact that we live in an age where there is just overwhelming emphasis on everyone's personal freedom. There's overwhelming emphasis on um, sense gratification. So everyone has the rights, no one has duties. You see, the emphasis is not on your duty, it's on your rights. Like, I can do this, I'm free, I can do that. As far as, well, what are your duties? Uh, that's not talked about so much. So I would say it's, uh, there's a lot of factors. Plus, even I would say in older times, and you know, if you look at the history of Europe or other parts of the world, there were these irresponsible uh, fathers that left their children. So, and that's one of the reasons why uh, responsible men or, or men who have the power or the position to do so should uh, help take care of women. So I think even back then there were probably cases like that. And that's why responsible men in non-exploitative ways uh, were expected to help women who really needed help and who deserved to be helped. Because, I mean, apart from men who uh, are just uh, shameless, there were also many uh, men who were in the military. Kshatriyas, and you know, you hear about these big armies with, with hundreds of thousands of people or more, and a lot of them were killed in battle. In fact, that was Arjuna's concern in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter one. What about all the women who lost their husbands? Or what about the, the girls who lost their fathers? And so uh, I, I think throughout history, there was a problem that had to be addressed of, of women and men and men, because we got several categories of men here. I mean, I mean a, a, a man who's healthy is supposed to go out and not be a bum, a lazy bum and work. But what if a man is sick? What if a man is elderly? What if it's a, a young boy? And so there are various categories of men who, for various reasons, including illness, cannot take care of themselves. And they also have to be protected. So uh, this whole topic of who in society is vulnerable and who has to be protected or provided for is it's an interesting topic. And uh, I think if, when I look at the system here in this ancient Vaishnav culture, what I see is just a lot of common sense and our modern society puts a lot more emphasis often on uh, dogma, you know, what is correct at the, politically correct at the moment, right or left, and often really lacks common sense. And the result is a lot of avoidable human suffering. So there are many aspects of this we could talk about. Those are just a few. Okay, here's a question. How to accommodate the philosophy of Srimad Bhagavatam to modern times? Because at this time, we have not enough kshatriyas to protect women and children, especially on this in this horrible COVID time when women and even children are forced by the demonic government to take poison. Okay, I'm not going to read out an anti-vax thing here. 
so, uh, okay, if that's just, uh, yeah, we're not going to do anti-vax here on the program. And uh, the person that wrote that question should have known that, that there are two views on this and not only one view. And so this class is not an opportunity to uh, speak against people that get vaccinated. So there's also the question of perceived controversy as Ananda Rajan. People will be quick to condemn the entire religion if it doesn't conform with contemporary ethical norms. Yes, it's absolutely, that's very true. That's very true. And that's why we have to be careful because we live in a very crazy, irrational world. So Jagatpalana, he's uh, trying again here. <laughs> why is Krishna in Bhagavad Gita chapter two using the word sat, being as a name for the soul when he describes all her different qualities? Uh, you didn't give a specific verse. So sat can mean spiritual. And oh, I oh that that verse maybe you mean nasato bhajate bhavo na bhavo bhajate sataha. Yeah, the soul is called sat because okay. Now I will tell you a little more about the word. The word sat is the neuter present participle of a verb to be. The verb is us, and it's from that verb like asti he or she or it is. That's where we get English words like is, German ist, uh, French est pronounced as it's written, um, Spanish ace and all those words, that's all Sanskrit us or asti is. And so, or to be, it's, it's, it's the verb to be. And so set as a neuter present participle literally means being, being. So it's just like in English, you can talk about like I am being serious you can use it as a present participle. He is being uh, mysterious or being can be an, a participle, which means a verb used as a noun. So it can be a living being. So being is, is originally a verb, but if you say a living being, you're using it as a noun and that's what sat is. It can also be an adjective. Sorry, that's a lot of grammar. So the soul is sat in the sense that it, it has real being, it has real existence. The idea here is that let's say, uh, well, handy water glass here. Uh, I'm gonna say these are available for purchase. I'm just joking. Um, so this glass exists. I mean, it's really here and I can really drink water out of it. But as the Buddhists would say, and, and they actually got this from the Upanishads. It's not like they invented it. They just emphasize it that this world is shunya. When the Buddha said this world is shunya, what they mean is that this glass is not ultimately a permanent glass. In other words, it's, it's like material energy doing business as a glass. But even as I hold it imperceptibly, because I just don't have the power to see it, the glass is actually transforming into something else because there's all kinds of subatomic activity going on. You could even say maybe molecular, so glasses wear out or they may break. So, and, and this is a Vedic idea, which was kind of uh, overemphasized, I would say in Buddhism, that um, there's no physical object in this world that always remains the same thing, that always remains the same thing. 
it's everything is always changing. Your body is not exactly the same body it was when we began this class or when I began this sentence. Because as, as the uh, ancient Greek philosopher said, you can't step in the same river twice, or as I say, you can't breathe in the same body twice. So that's what Krishna means. That um, so something is asat, meaning non-being or lacking true existence because it's just it's really just material energy constantly transforming constantly becoming something else no matter how slowly no matter you know how microscopically whereas the soul uh is always the same thing ontologically the soul as an existing thing is always a soul it doesn't become a glass a water glass it doesn't become a flower. It doesn't become an asteroid. The soul is just the soul. We take bodies. We, we are covered with material bodies. And because the bodies are material, the bodies are constantly changing. And so if we identify with the body, our emotions are changing, or even our self-identity is changing. Who we think we are, what we're attached to is changing because we identify with the, there's a word in English, protein, which means changing all the time. So, so our uh, sensation or our consciousness that I'm, you know, I'm really different than I was, is really, it, it's psychological. I mean, we do change, but it's, it, it's our mind which is changing because that's psychological, but ontologically in terms of ultimately what we are, that's not changing. So that's how Krishna uses the word, that something which is asat, nasatobhidyabhava, it doesn't have real existence. And the word bhava, of course, is made from the other main Sanskrit word that means to be or to exist, which is the verb bhu, like bhavati, he, she, or it is. So Krishna is kind of using this philosophical vernacular here. He's saying that something which is asat, which doesn't have permanent existence, doesn't have true existence. Na asato vidyate bhavo. And uh, of course, another verb that means to be, which is vidyate. But but anyway, that you understand the philosophy. I won't, I'm not going to get any more into the grammar. So uh, let's see, any other question? Um, okay, this is from Radhe Sham. Does Atmani unto the self, Ishware, the dominating factor here, mean? Oh, he's talking about another Bhagavatam, verse 1, 2, 21. Mean oneself or self as master of one's body senses, or one soul sees the Lord as master. Uh, it means that, or both, and there's the chain of fruit of actions terminated. So here's the verse the chain of fruit of actions is terminated when one sees oneself and one's master. That's, Anyway, there's Sanskrit, like sometimes in English, it can mean different things. And so, I mean, grammatically, it can mean this or it can mean that. And all the meanings which are compatible with uh, Bhagavatam's philosophy, correctly understood, can be taken as meanings. So the same verse can have many meanings. Lord Chaitanya showed that in his uh, analysis of or purport to the uh, Atmarama verse, where he gave you know hundreds of meanings for a single Sanskrit verse, and they were all correct. 
So following Lord Chaitanya, we can say that all the philosophically correct meanings, all the meanings which are philosophically and grammatically correct may be taken as the case. Uh, is that, so is, so is that disconnect in the modern, very impractical world in terms of our real human needs, both an exploitative system or a symptom of Kali Yuga? Yes, exploitation is one of the primary symptoms of Kali Yuga. So, uh, meditation on God, I didn't quite, that's Ananda Rajan, so he's, I'm sure he's referring to something I said, but I just uh, don't remember what I said, so, sorry. Uh, why isn't polygamy legal anymore? Uh, probably if I was going to marry a second wife, and he wasn't crazy about his first wife, but now it has become illegal. So there's a whole history behind that. Of course, it obviously has to do with Christian ethics and, uh, you know, it really has to do with Judeo-Christian influence. It's an interesting question. But uh, before I speak on that more, I'd like to do a little research on it. So I don't want to just, because I want to make sure that what I'm saying is actually the case. But I, but one thing I am sure of is that it definitely comes from at least some forms of, uh, or some interpretations of Judeo-Christian morality. I think you could research it yourself. That's Brindavan Eshri, Dasi. Be interesting, you could look up polygamy and I'm sure you could read about the history of it. You could tell us about that. So, uh, so uh, Karana Kar says, suggested that uh, polygamy is not good because men have enough trouble looking after just one wife. Uh, Prabhupada was some men actually have enough money and uh, you know to look after more than one wife, and it's even their nature. Prabhupada's main concern was uh, that our movement is to. Uh, become free of material attachment, not to increase it. So Leela Kara, um, people who tend to be politically correct always try to justify their bad behavior. Is there any advice on how can one deal with such people? Um, I'd say be diplomatic. I mean, you know, sometimes people may say that I have not been perfectly diplomatic, but felt some things just had to be said. But in any case, in general, uh, we don't want to unnecessarily fight with people. So if we can, before we, you know, the extent to which people are receptive, we can try to speak to them and explain things to them. Uh, so Ananda Raja, I have a question about the anti-intellectualism in some, well, devotees. Anyway, that's, I guess that's not a question, that's a criticism. So... All kinds of people come to Krishna consciousness. You know, we throw the doors wide open, of course. And all there are all kinds of people in this world. There are all kinds of people in this world and all kinds of people come to Krishna. And somehow or other, for Prabhupada's sake, we have to learn to get along. So Jaigorangada, sometimes eating with no devotees is very painful. Although they have some prasadam in their place, they mix it with meat. Oh, non-devotees, you meant non-devotees. Uh, well, sometimes eating with non-devotees is very painful because they may have prashana, they mix it with meat. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, when it said that you should invite certain, I mean, what see what what Unister was actually saying is like, did you not invite people to eat with you? So if you are eating prasadam, and there's someone who really needs your help, you invite them and you share your prasadam. It's not that you just invite someone who's got a you know a hamburger in their pocket. Yeah, hey, you want to come and eat with me? That wasn't the idea. It's that you invite them to come and share what you have. Uh, as far as asking questions, yeah, if you have a question, you can try your question. So, um, let's see, is that a question? No. Um, let's see, we're getting near the end here. Looking for the question marks. Here's a question with one question mark. Does it, uh, do current historians, are current historians open to advances in archeological evidence and genetic findings from ancient human samples and correct the earlier historians hypothesis based on, uh, to some extent, there are fanatics in the Hare Krishna movement, in mundane archaeology, in political parties, in every other religion. Some people just neurologically, they're wired fanatic. And so you will find fanatics in every human organization on earth if it has more than, you know, seven people in it. So uh, some archaeologists are open-minded, some are fanatics, just like, frankly, some devotees are fanatics and some are open-minded. So, uh, Let's see. Uh, so from Tampa, Todd. That's interesting. Political correctness and social media uh, universities and institutions are fusing the four classes together. Thoughts? Uh, well, obviously, spiritually, we're all equal. Materially, we're not equal. And therefore, there are natural hierarchies in the world. And when the people who tend to be higher up don't exploit the people who depend on them or who are under their power, everyone's happy. The problem is that in Kali Yuga, people who have the power to exploit often do so. And uh, so therefore, because there's been so much exploitation by people who, who are, have more power, there's all this egalitarianism that no one should have too much power because if they do, they'll just exploit us and they'll cheat us. So it's a big mess. But ultimately, even, I mean, say you have democracy on the grounds that there shouldn't be hierarchies. Well, guess what? People who are more intelligent and, and maybe more charismatic, just have more power, they simply exploit a democratic political system, get power anyway, and do all the same things they would have done in a monarchy. Namely, rip, you know. So <clears throat> democracy societies that are officially democracies oftentimes give an advantage to powerful people that want to cheat and exploit <clears throat> because they can hide behind the screen of democracy. Well, in fact, they're doing bad things. Whereas in other systems, everyone knows that this person has more power. But in democracies, they claim they're just serving the people and often do really bad things. What's the best political system? <clears throat> in Kali Yuga, I don't know. As my body gets older, I'm becoming a little, you know, I, I don't have so much confidence in humans, but in any system, but I think we just have to do our best. So I think we'll stop there for now.
thank you very much. I appreciate you, you showing up. And thank you to those who ask questions. And um, hope everyone is doing very well. And we'll see, we'll be together again next week. Oh, I missed two questions. That's uh, my digital conscience. Uh, one question I saw, I thought uh, wasn't exactly appropriate for this class. And the other one, I just don't know what it is. So if I missed your question, sorry, you can write me a letter and I'll be happy to answer it. But um, thank you very much. Have a great day. And uh, till next week, Hare Krishna.